0: Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey everybody, this is Casey McClain, and uh, this episode we have a guest. His name is Danny O'Neill. He is a former Seahawks beat writer. He was a radio host at 710 ESPN Seattle, and now he's a guest on this podcast. Uh, Danny O'Neill, you can find him on Twitter, probably everywhere else, at Danny O'Neill, but for sure on Twitter, he has a substack called That Dang Apostrophe, where he also has a uh, a podcast. And uh, I really enjoyed talking to him. We went in. I wanted to talk about the kind of, like, evolving persona in sports, not only athletes, but writers. What we ended up talking about a lot for, like, 30 minutes, and what I thought was very entertaining is uh, hip-hop music. And then we talked about some other stuff before we ran out of time. It was very, very fun conversation. So I hope you check it out. Uh, I hope you continue to listen. You're listening. It takes zero effort to keep listening. Just keep listening. Uh, come see me do stand-up comedy. I have a pretty light schedule the next couple weeks. Things have not worked out perfectly for me. Uh, but check out dkcmacleancom calendar. I've got quite a bit of road stuff coming up this year, so keep checking out uh, that. Check me out on, uh, all social media at the Casey McLean. But for now, please, uh, first off, if you're watching video of this, subscribe to my YouTube channel. If you're watching, uh, if you're listening, subscribe at the Casey McLean and otherwise, please enjoy this podcast and I'll talk to you later. I did, uh, I, I told you many weeks ago or months ago now that, uh, I started listening to your show while I was driving my daughter to daycare, uh, I listened to, I used to listen to 710 ESPN Seattle for several years, and then I took many years off. And then uh, comedy podcasts are a little dirty for a toddler.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. <laughs> yeah.
0: Also, it's really embarrassing to hear my daughter listen to me listening to my own podcast. Um, <laughs> it's That's no
1: funny. Really?
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You I don't... mean, it's like a, because she will, one, repeat things that I say, which is yeah. not good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, it's just listening to your own podcast, period, is very embarrassing,
1: in my opinion. <laughs> I don't know. Is, I guess, but you have to do that, right, to listen to how things are delivered and to, and yeah. to sort of scrutinize that part of it. Yeah, it's part of self-study.
0: I like that. Hey, I w- I also want to point out that the other day you had I saw a video that you did where you had a Kid Cudi album. Yes, back there. And now, what is this? What's this album? You have a new album.
1: Uh, DJ Shadow introducing. Okay, so he's going to from... feel
0: really cool recognizing the record you had up there. <laughs>
1: <No>. <laughs> he's a dude from. He was affiliated with with Quantum, which was like Latyrx born a uh, mm. Gab, Blackalicious was Oh, yeah, I
0: know, I know Gifted Gab. I mean, I don't know Gifted Gab, but I know of Gift a Gab. Gotcha. Okay, so, because Kid Cudi decidedly not Seattle by origin.
1: No, I don't really have, I'm trying to think of who do I have that's, I don't know how much vinyl I have that is from from Seattle-based artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the rotation. Mitch was getting on me because I wasn't <laughs> changing it. I also, what do I have behind there?
0: Oh, that's very funny that you just have like the. There's like a stack of them that you could. see. Yeah, there's two
1: there. that are there. That one's David <laughs> Byrne from American Utopia, from okay. the from the Talking Heads. He's got a Broadway show now, and that's the that's the music from that. I
0: see. So the, you're a hip hop fan, obviously. I do. I yeah,
1: I do like hip hop.
0: What is your what's your like favorite? If you get one hip hop album, to uh, you have to re listen to it. It's the only one you get.
1: Ilmatic, okay, Moss. that's a good one. That's that's probably that's probably up there or it, Ghostface Iron Man, his first okay. solo album. I also really like. Uh oh, would I go? It's so hard. Um, yeah. I'm if give I was you gonna mind, s- even though you didn't yeah, ask, I d- I do want to you- know it.
0: Well, it's uh it's a uh, most deaf black on both sides.
1: Another great album.
0: I listen to it four times a year, cover to cover. Uh, but I heard this thing that made me self-conscious about the way that I consume hip-hop. Do uh, you know who Sypha Sounds is? Yeah. for mm-hmm. Yeah. He uh, I heard an interview with him and he's like, he goes, yeah, the white boys, they all like lyrical rap. For what He just said that and I was like, oh yeah, I am one of those white boys that likes lyrical rap.
1: 100%. I think we're both from this very narrow window. It sounds like like Sypha Sounds and Most deaf are mm. certainly where I was... I'll tell people like, I I know a fair amount about hip hop, but like my window of expertise is this fairly narrow window of backpack rap from like raucous records, like 1998 to 2002, kind of as Def Jux is just (laughs) starting. Like there's this very specific window where I was like, yeah, I I know that part of it. The rest of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm kind of a a tourist in it because I like listening to it. It was i'm I'm working on a, a project um, right now that includes a Portland rapper. his name's libretto. He's super interesting mm. dude um and he was asking me about hip hop and I was I was like I like hip-hop but I don't live it And so it's mm-hmm. always I always try to be a little bit conscious of that where it's it's very much my experience with the music is much different from someone for whom. Has either made a living doing it or really been enmeshed in it. Cause you're like, yeah, I, I like it, but I also dress like a completely corporate, like, cause he, he was like, well, why'd you stop listening to hip hop? And I'm like, well, it's like most suburban kids. You get older and you get married and you start doing other things. And that, that's what I mean of kind of like you dip in and dip out. But I'll always, I'll always love that. I actually saw Most Deaf at, um, it was the 2001. I remember this because it was when my mom told me my stepdad moved out um oh, wow. it was yeah it was 2001 and it was the um at at bumbershoot most deaf played the mm. entire black on both sides album and he did it with a live band he did it with and a, the band amazing. was called the black jack johnson um or a heavyweight uh heavyweight fighter from like 100 years ago but it included dudes from fishbone maybe somebody from living color too but he played mm. the whole album with a live band it was it was awesome. He headlined Jurassic five and Jurassic five was dilated oh, people's. I think it was dilated people's Jurassic five. And then most deaf and most, De- I, it was, it's my favorite hip hop show I've ever seen.
0: Yeah. I have to imagine. I mean, that's like a, speaking of, uh, like groups that white boys like, dude. The, yeah, exactly. Got, <laughs> exactly. Got, that's that, that. three, three groups there. That I, Yeah. I, so this is a uh, pre pandemic. Most deaf had a schedule as Yasin Bey had a, uh, scheduled he was gonna do I mean I don't know how many years since it's like twenty years since the album came out, but which is so insane by the way. I really yeah. hurt my my ego saying that just now. But uh he was gonna do the whole Black on Both Sides album like in two thousand nineteen, I think. And oh, it got cancelled.
1: Oh that's too bad.
0: Yeah. I mean I think I think most Def's got some uh which this'll this'll kind of I think dovetail in most Def's got some uh some demons and some struggles for sure. Uh Yasin Bey now has some demons and some struggles. And I think that's kind of the thing that caused it. It's probably part of what makes him so amazing and also a thing that can be you know, a little bit self-sabotaging sometimes for a dude like that.
1: He's also got an interesting sort of perspective on performance, right? Which is a little bit that I'm not going to necessarily get up there and do what you want me to do.
0: Um,
1: Because I know that there's been some performances where people have been dissatisfied they're like i wanted to hear you play this kind of music and he's like that yeah, that's and and i think that's i think that can be a real challenge for artists um at at different points in their career of what am am i supposed to just get out and perform the things that they want me to perform um becoming an older rapper is uh it's an incredible challenge it's also mm-hmm. kind of not allowed we we're i was making the argument to my wife um, I don't know how interested she was in this argument, so I'll try it out on you. <laughs> like, do you ever get, like, it was completely, like, I'm saying this, and she just kind of looked at me, and she's like, I, I don't care. like Because I was like, Snoop Dogg is the one rapper we've allowed to mature. Like, we, mm. we don't expect him to perform the same way he did 20 years ago. When he performs Gin and Juice or something like that, we don't look at it the same as we do we did when we saw it when he was younger, but he's, he's been allowed to morph into this older Statesman, even in a way that Dre hasn't like Dre. Dre's a musical genius, all of the acts that he produces and he's recognized as that, but his actual persona, I don't think has changed that much. Whereas snoops snoops is like, I mean, at one point Snoop was on trial for murder and now, now he's the dude that does Corona commercials. And is like, everybody likes him. He's friends with Martha Stewart. and, he he seems to be one of the only exceptions where we've actually a rapper has aged because usually when it happens, they have to leave the genre entirely like Ice-T right. or Ice Cube. They, how persuasive was my argument?
0: it was It's good. I want to say that the one exception to that, I would say, and I'm curious to hear why you make the distinction on this, is I think Jay-Z has made a similar mm-hmm. transformation. He's gone from also, by the way, was on trial for murder at one point. Uh, which was like a prerequisite for being a 90s rapper at one point, uh, but has become like this kind of respected businessman, a father. He puts out albums still, but we don't expect them to be like, like, kind of like Snoop Dogg, where we're like, we don't expect another uh, like Life and Times or Reasonable Doubt mm-hmm. out of Jay-Z. We go like, there's probably going to be three great songs on this, and some other stuff that's like a different era of your career, you know what I mean?
1: It's a very good point. I would argue Jay Z is now more of a businessman than he is an entertainer. Sure, that's possible. I think that's and, that's certainly possible. And he's kind of morphed into that. Whereas the same way I would say like Ice Cube is now more of a actor than he is of a rapper. He's still making music, but it's but I I think that point the thing that's remarkable about Jay Z is that dude was willing to rap about and talk about like issues of fidelity with his wife Mm -hmm. and stick with her in a way that was so uncare, like unthinkable to how like macho rap usually is. And I give him a lot of credit for that to show that kind of vulnerability publicly, especially because so much of hip hop is built around like, braggadocio right like a being of projecting mm-hmm. this like it's it's part of the art form um but no that's that's true because jay-z certainly had a wild oh a, 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 it, it's really transformed like he is completely in some ways changed what what it's possible he and puffy what it's possible for a rapper to do in the music industry
0: yeah another another thing that he did and i and i actually have made this argument to i'll make my bad hip-hop okay. argument to you and see what you think so uh, Macklemore is like a guy who's not incredibly respected among uh, people who love hip hop, and I'm not trying to make an argument that Macklemore is better than he is, but I do think that the song "Same Love" had an enormous impact on, and I, and it's not just that like we have Frank Ocean, we have Tyler the Creator now. These are guys that are like so far out of my scope of what hip hop is that like they're not. It's I'm not like oh my god Frank Ocean. Like I couldn't pick Frank Ocean out if he walked past me on the street. However, Jay-Z has become an advocate for, uh, like, in fact, on the same album as he talked about infidelity with his wife, I believe, which was 444, he talked about his mom coming out as a lesbian, which is, like, not the same as a male rapper coming out as mm-hmm. gay himself, but is, like, he has become an advocate for LGBT rights and stuff like that which is very markedly different from what 90s hip-hop
1: was yes completely yeah i think that that yeah. that yeah i i think that, i think there has been progress made in in, for in sure. that regard um and yeah i so s- my point is same love is like yeah. i think was a
0: daring song when it came out especially for a guy who was already not universally accepted
1: by hip-hop i would agree with that i i I always enjoy seeing someone who does something that I don't think is calculated for their own approval. Like there's constantly, right. there's constantly things we see where you're like, "Oh, that person is—is is that risky or not? Like, are they doing something knowing that? Okay, this actually might hurt me professionally. It might hurt my right. appeal, and something like that for for Mclemore. Like, there's no incentive for him to do that other than he feels really strongly in that issue and. Right. I think those are always like telling decisions that a person makes because yep. you do see kind of what what matters to them, and i would I would agree with that. And i I think Mclemore's handled sort of the acclaim and fame that he's achieved remarkably well mm-hmm. because it doesn't seem that he is resentful of some of the hostility, or he, he seems he seems very content and happy with his success, and maybe maybe he just does a really good job of playing it off because he's not. He's not universally well regarded by right. other other rappers in the same way. And when he won best album, there was kind of a, a reaction to it. I like Macklemore's music. Like I've really yeah. there's some of the some of the songs that I I totally enjoy. I also understand why a lot of people are like that's not really my <laughs> that's not my thing or that's not not what I congregate toward. And some of that is being a white rapper.
0: Yeah, well, that's I think that's definitely I think you probably get some. There probably is some discounting of his ability and appeal because of that. I do, though, I mean, I think, like, uh, for me, I I mean, I was aware of him before he made it big. I've got, like, a, you know, a relative, there's, like, another, like, window of Seattle hip-hop that I know decently well, and he was around when I was looking into that window, and I was like, oh, this guy's, like, fine. He's not my favorite of the Seattle rappers. He wouldn't have been the one that I would have picked to become the ultra famous rapper to come out of Seattle, you know what I mean? Even I'm just even just on talent. But yeah, I think he's like I don't know if he uh was ever like the pure like the pure MC that was not looking for a commercial appeal. So I'm sure yeah. I, I think he's probably doing fine with the amount of success I, he's
1: having. I would think so. So is that Is that like Common Market, Blue Scholars era that you're talking about? It's
0: probably – I definitely know Blue Scholars. I definitely know Common Market. um, The guy – there's an album that I think is like the moment for me is uh, Saul's 2020. Are you familiar with uh, Uh – or no, sorry, Saul's Yours Truly is the name of the album. No. I'll send you a link to it because it's it's even hard to find on like Spotify or whatever – Uh, streaming platform because Saul is a name it's sol okay which is a name of a million spanish language artists (laughs) because
1: it's (laughs) son
0: that's hilarious yeah but he's he's incredible he's and he's put out some new music since then but that album is another one where i'd put it like for me i'm not saying it is the history of hip-hop but for me it's like top 10 hip-hop albums of all time is Saul's. yours truly
1: It's funny the little albums that'll get stuck on you. There was an album, I think it would have been around, it's probably right in this like 2000, 2001 period, but it was by a group named Mars Ill, like not Mars Mm. Hill, but Mars Ill. And um, God, I'm going to brick on the name of the album because they had two. The second one was like Backbreakonomics or something like that, and that one wasn't nearly as good. But I really liked the Mars Ill album and then I found out, like I'm pretty sure it's Christian rap. Like I'm not 100 <laughs> percent positive, <laughs> but but I'm I'm pretty sure it is. And, and <laughs> I was like, it changed the way I listened to it. And that's mm-hmm. that's kind of lame, right? Like it, it's it shouldn't, and it's not like that. I'm I'm biased. I was raised Catholic, so it's sure. not like I was. But there was a. There was a part of me when I found that out, I was like, oh, man, I don't, I don't, I don't. It was called Raw Material by Mars Ill was the name okay. of it. I look at it. It's got like a, a mailbox on the front of it. But it was so funny because I looked it up and somebody was like, it's Christian rap. And i listened through it and I was like, I, I'm, i it's not overt. Like if, if you, if you told me, but I, I would come to the conclusion. Like I do think they're Christian rappers. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> It was funny. It changed. It changed because that would have been one of my albums that I was like, I really like that album. It just nobody really listened to it. It didn't become big. And I liked it a little Might- less after I found out they were
0: Christian rappers. <laughs> well, I mean, you presume a lot of rappers are Christian, right? But the, there's a difference between rappers who are Christian and Christian rappers.
1: <laughs> which... Right. This one is very clear. Like, there's not much. There's certainly nothing about that. But it's not like I want violence to be part of my hip hop. Right. Like, that's a necessary thing. But it was very clear. Like, the the subject matter is almost entirely the sound of, of, of their rap and not anything in society at all.
0: I uh, My first albums I ever purchased on CD are – one is not so embarrassing. It's the single of – the uh, notorious big tribute song uh with uh faith Evans yeah. and uh and p D- or puff daddy at the time and maybe mace was on that also but then the other one i bought these at the same time is uh the big quad city dj's album which had that train <laughs> song <laughs> come on I ride that train that choo that, choo. <laughs> that was uh, that aged badly by the time i got it home from sam Goody. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there was I was trying to come up the other day because that I I'm I'm old enough that the first hip hop I bought was on cassette tapes. Um the first yeah. rap album I bought was was Sir Mix-a-Lot Swass. I was living in Oregon oh, at nice. the time. But um then when I was in 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 high school, I went to high school, my family moved to Santa Cruz and so and I listened to a lot of hip hop um then, but it was like there was a single by these guys called Irk and Jerk that mm. was just god-awful. Like, I saw that <laughs> off of Yo! TV Raps, and, like, it's, like, there's a irk, irk and jerk, uh, and then, you got me doing it, baby. It's just a horrific song um, that I've, I've gone back and listened to periodically. Tim Dogg, but I, I'll still argue for the values of Tim Dog. Uh He had an album called Penicillin on Wax, and it was kind of a clapback at all of the... um west coast rappers like his Mm -hmm. big song off of that was f compton (laughs) (laughs) this is back in the days where you had the skits on on rap albums and uh and tim dog tim dog had one where they beat up dj quick um like there was it is it is entirely just angry at the west coast um and snoop Dogg ends up mentioning like Uh, The play with my bone, would you Timmy Andre day is about like, that's a response to Tim Dog. Uh, Subsequently, Tim Dog had like a paternity suit against him. And at one point, there was an allegation that he had faked his death. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, and then, but it turned out that he did actually die. Like, so I, the last mm. that I had read is that the the belief is that that Tim Dog is deceased, R.I.P. Um, but yeah, there was a there was a period of time where people thought that he had faked his own death to get out of a paternity suit.
0: Interesting. I had that. Uh, I I carried the torch for the Tupac conspiracy for many,
1: for many years. I'm I'm not a hundred percent convinced that I'm that with part's you. not true. <laughs> like, I there's no evidence for it, but I don't think that 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 means that it it's not possibly true yeah. like I, I i i think there's a chance that that's true
0: the guy i carry the uh that i'll carry the torch for that i'll defend is i've the most concerts i've been to of any hip-hop artist is uh tech Oh yeah T- but tech, tech nine
1: is legit
0: but tech nine first off there's a weird thing about tech nine concerts is there's this enormous overlap of tech Nine fans and icp fans Mm -hmm. so the you go there and you're like this is not my crowd but they're a blast the show and by the way i haven't been to one since like 2008 eight maybe at the latest uh but they're like he's incredible on stage and his pre uh ever ready he had an album called ever ready there was a song on the movie alpha dog with justin timberlake yeah that is the line of demarcation Post ever ready, that's a sellout tech nine. Pre Ever ready, he had songs, and I'll, I'll elsewhere, uh I don't know if you were actually censoring the name of a song earlier. He has songs called Fuck the Industry that are like then he's like just becomes an industry darling, like, you know, five years later or
1: six years later. It's funny, the concept of sellout. I'm reading Chuck Klosterman's book now, The 90s. Which is actually I, I really I like Klosterman. But he talks about like kind of our I'm not sure. I'm not sure if we're, if you're part of Generation X. I'm very firmly Gen X. Like I'm 46. I was born, born in '86. So I think yeah, I'm a little. So you're you're significantly younger. A big part of Generation X is this idea of selling out. Like there is a mm. huge, and it is like there's a very specific sort of window of what constitutes selling out, and it's entirely someone who changes something about themselves to make themselves more marketable. And like the minute that happens, you're like, that sucks. Like that person. And there's a, there's a writing off. And like, I feel that intrinsically. So I feel you on the tech nine sort of thing. <laughs> um, I do. I had a dog um, who hated juggalos. Like oh, her name was. Well,
0: <laughs> I could see that. I mean, first off, dogs see you in black and white, and there's a lot going on on the face paint, and it's usually all in black and white.
1: It was it was the pants, I think. Like you know, the big oh. ballooned bottom pants. Like her name was Tia, and she's she's a pretty sweet dog, but she would if she saw someone with Juggalo pants. Like she would, she would like look at him, and she wouldn't growl, but she'd like be clearly bothered by him. And then she'd look away, and then she'd look back at that person. Like it was very clear that she knew the juggalo was not to be trusted.
0: <laughs> That's a, I think those were Jinkos largely, and uh, I had, I made, they made it to Ross at one point. Jinkos did because I could never justify. At the time, these were like fifty dollars, but in the nineties, nineties fifty dollars is like whatever a hundred bucks now. For a pair of jeans, and my mom would have never bought, but we got some. There were Jinkos at Ross for whatever twenty bucks for a pair of Jinkos, and I bought them. And we didn't even make it home. I go, "Can we take them back? Can I return them, please?" And it's maybe the only good uh, like foresight I ever had as a child. You know, that's
1: really funny. You're like, I can't go down this road.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I'm gonna hurt my back reaching into the super deep back pockets. It's... ICP is like
1: their music's not awful. No, oh, yeah, I agree. I listen to I've listened to a lot of ICP. It's it's not it's not awful. It's the thing that surrounds ICP mm-hmm. that is just so freaking weird. Um the throwing stuff. And the gathering of the juggalos and the hatchets and all of that stuff is so exceptionally weird. Um,
0: I thought they they had an album that came out when I was... So I had a couple of friends that were like huge juggalos and probably still are. It's not why we stopped talking, but it's convenient for this conversation that I'm not really friends with them anymore. But uh, the uh, they had an album that came out when I was like a senior in high school called The Wraith. And it was like a two-part album. Yeah. And at the... At the end, they had a big reveal, which I thought was like – but it was that they were basically Christians. Like, oh, yes. the carnival is God. I remember that line. very, And I was like, oh, that's so funny. Like, they've been basically just trolling people into becoming Christians this whole time.
1: Do you think – because I'm fascinated by that because it is. Like, all of a sudden at the end, like, they'd had other albums. Like, I think The Great Malenko is probably yeah. their best their best album. Do you think that was something they planned all along or do you think it was something they grew into?
0: Yeah, maybe it's like a late career transformation. Maybe they had some sort of like uh, rebirth,
1: right? Because there's, you could certainly understand how their lifestyle would lead them to a reckoning at some point where they're like, <laughs> "We can't continue to do like, I mean, dude, we've got it. We've we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna grow old. Like we're not gonna make yeah. it past. Like we can't sustain this way." And then, and then it morphs into it because it's. It is one of the weirder plot twists in in mm-hmm. hip hop ever. Where it's and it it was presented as sort of a Scooby Doo bad guy like unmasking and like, ha, we're leading you to the promised land and you didn't even realize it. And this is this is I was like, man, that's kind of messed up. Like that's some bait and switch. Like I'm I'm all for proselytizing. Like there's there's nothing wrong with that. Like it's how you grow a church. But like you got to There's some morals to it, isn't it? Like you can't tell <laughs> like. <laughs> Really, like you can't—you can't pretend that the the dark carnival, like you're going to hell, and then at the end you're like, surprise, we made you Christian. You're like that's false advertising. <laughs> I will say this: uh, I'm atheist. Uh, not I try not to be
0: annoying about it. Uh, I think that if anyone needed God, it was the people they were reaching.
1: <laughs> the ends justifies the means.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um oh man I didn't know I had, I literally don't even have a hip hop question written down by the way like Oh that's kinda... funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, I uh I mean I ICP was fine. they had a collaboration with um Snoop Dogg on a on an album also.
1: I didn't know that.
0: It's a really brief one. I think he does like maybe four bars but it's obvious that he recorded it for them it's not something they got but uh the um the other guy that did like a kind of late career transformation that i could see them doing like that is billy corgan right the dude from the smashing yes. pumpkins who's also now into like... pro wrestling
1: right oh is he into pro wrestling uh, he is yeah he and oh, icp are both super into pro wrestling
0: well yeah the, the icp they were wrestlers yes. <laughs> they did <Yeah. laughs> which makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. Well, I want to talk to you. We were talking about most staff a little bit earlier and it made me think of, uh, you have been, we're going (laughs) to, we went from laughing and having fun to now uh, slightly heavier. Yeah. You, uh, have talked on your podcast and you've taught, you've referenced talking about on the radio about you, uh, struggling with depression at points in your life. Mm -hmm. Um, you've, you've quit drinking and I what. One thing I'm curious about is do you think i think about this all the time with comedy, which is if I had to do comedy in an era where you had to send v h s tapes to people, that's too much for me. I'm out. That's too high a barrier of entry and I'm curious if you did sports talk radio and sports like beat writing in a different era, and these are these are uh industries that are traditionally men and traditionally men are not great at opening up and confronting their own depression and alcohol issues. Do you think you could have had a career in those other times when you weren't able to confront those things?
1: It's a good question. I don't know. Um, I have been aware of sort of underlying unhappiness that I've experienced since before like I would have ever considered or labeled myself as depressed, like in retrospect, I'm like oh okay, I can see I can see as early as like being twenty when I was having what I would now describe as a as a depressive episode, and I've never had a healthy relationship with alcohol um mm-hmm. i I don't really know how to evaluate and don't ever think that I understand how other people deal with it but i've always binge drank like to excess i don't think i've ever finished a drink and said like oh that's totally enough i don't want another one um and and i don't i don't know what would have happened in another era um i think that it's certainly easier now to talk Mm -hmm. about um but at the same time, I think that I've always been pretty aware of things that get in the way of my happiness and satisfaction. Like, I have a hard time... I'm not generally all that effective at at deluding myself and saying, like, oh, this is all fine. Like, usually when I'm miserable, I'm pretty miserable, and I'm kind of mm-hmm. like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. So... I I tend to think that I probably would have bottomed out no matter where it happened. And maybe this allowed me to have that sooner and not right. suffer the, because I'm pretty fortunate in a lot of ways in that the my drinking, I mean, it, I don't want to say it didn't cost me much because it, it did, but it's not like my wife didn't leave me like mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't get fired from a job. Like there, there are certainly I, I suffered, but I would say I probably suffered more than anybody else. Um. And and maybe maybe that maybe it would have taken more, for for it to get there. Um. It's an interesting question. I'd never thought of that before, Casey, because it is, it it has become it's easier to step forward now. And the one thing that I've always, pe- people have people have have used the word courageous before in things that I'll, I'm willing to talk about. And I'm like, I really, I don't see it as that way because when you talk about it, like you basically get praised for it. Like there's not, mm-hmm. like that idea, and I get it when people say that it's risky to be vulnerable and that sort of stuff. But my experience talking about it is that, Any fear or discomfort you have in talking about some of those things, once you get to the other side, like the the amount of support and and really like compassion that you receive, like it's not – it's not a – I would say that I've gotten way more from that process than I've given just in terms of like emotional – yeah, so.
0: Well, yeah, I guess that's kind of like the – I mean to kind of reference back to something that I said earlier – That I suppose could be taken out of context, but I think you understood what I meant, which is that it's different to talk about your mom coming out of the closet than to be a rapper who comes out, especially like it, you know, it's era dependent also, right? Like I said, uh, Macklemore's same love maybe lays the groundwork for some of these hip hop artists that are coming out now Mm -hmm. that, and, uh, and maybe, you know, Frank Ocean lays the groundwork for there's a dude. I don't know if you heard about this, but, uh, Isaiah Rashad, who's a rapper that I actually never heard his music at all, but he got outed by like public release of a sex tape, which has got to be the absolute worst way to come out. Now, if that happens in the nineties or eighties, that's probably the end of his career. And I think everyone looking at that in 2022 is like, it's going to be really tough for a while. He's gonna have trauma from having coming out like that, yeah. but his career will be fine. Like we are probably gonna embrace this guy more now because we've witnessed this trauma that he went through. You know what I mean? And I think that's kind of the thing you're saying, which is that's and that's why it's obviously like this era is better. And it, you know, some people will point to that stuff as like softness, and mm-hmm. and like you said, like in for me, that's the thing too. Is like when you have a struggle as a comedian. You just talk about it on stage and then it's like, you know, you that's way easier than having to conform to like you have some truck driver uh, in Seattle who's listening to your radio show. That's like, I don't care about this. I maybe don't even believe in this, especially in the 90s or
1: 80s. You know what I mean? Yes. That part is definitely true of the, the that the audience matters and. Who you share that with, and I think the audience is changing, and I think that that's good. Um, just in in general, like I, mm-hmm. I I generally have i I have a decent amount of faith in people. Like mm-hmm. I, I have a decent amount of faith that most people, like when you are in in an individual setting that that the majority of people are actually interested in connecting and understanding their their fellow human. Like I I mm-hmm. I, I think that it's it's been it's been tested some. And it's also different, like you said, talking about Jay-Z, talking about his mom is different than him. It's also different for me to talk about it than it is for an athlete like Ben Simmons, right? Like, because mm-hmm. his industry, and he hasn't even really talked about it, and it's become this this flashpoint that people have used in the trade of, like, do you believe it, do you not? And there's there's ultimately, like, I would say all of that that sort of stuff doesn't end up mattering all that much like people that think that they can diagnose someone else's mental health or they do or don't believe that like ultimately like all of that stuff is is, it doesn't really matter for your own happiness which is the most important thing and and i would say that the there's a fair amount of like evidence out there that talks about like the willingness to be vulnerable and to make yourself uncomfortable actually lends itself toward creativity and, and being a more compassionate person. So I, I would say that that's, that's another benefit of doing that is that you're more willing to try stuff because you don't mind being uncomfortable or sorting through emotions or feelings in public. Like when you said like you're a comedian, you get to talk about it like that and that in some ways is taking ownership of it, right? Mm, like it sure. change it changes the way you feel about it because you've addressed it and and it helps you contextualize it.
0: Yeah. Well and it also allows you to not be like perfect. You can I've always said this like I'm okay with being the villain of a joke. Like I'm not going to come out both the villain and the hero. Like no I'm okay with people rooting against me in a joke because it's honest. Like as long as it's honest, right? Or it's really funny, one of those two things. Those are the two. Uh, And so, yeah, I think, like, that's, we've, like, in some ways, I guess maybe we've just redefined perfection because it used to be that uh, that was, those were, like, taboo topics and what we presented publicly was this kind of image of perfection, even pre-social media. And now the things that we maybe view as perfection are, like, political views or language usage that is different than you know it before it was like you can't have any mental weakness and now we almost uh reward or at least certainly accept people's uh mental issues any any issue i guess like emotional issues mental issues the way we used to go like well that guy played through an ankle injury we go well that guy played through clinical depression you know yeah
1: yeah that's definitely true and it's funny when you mention kind of the the perfection yet we do increasingly kind of expect a political perfection from people, mm-hmm. which creates an interesting, did you follow the thing with Matthew Stafford last week?
0: Well, was it the part where he like didn't help the lady that fell off yes. the stage? Right. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: so this is and to me, it was like the summation of exactly why Twitter has what, what it's become, which is basically a contest to say who's most terrible. Like you're like, yeah. everything, everything is a race to decide who is the most terrible in the situation. So Stafford is having his picture taken at the victory celebration. They're at the stadium. This photographer falls like eight feet and is is she's injured. Like mm-hmm. and Stafford on this video is caught. He sees it, he turns his back and he goes the other way. Like it's a it's an incompassionate reaction. And proceeds to then be called what what's the term? he got dragged? Is that oh yeah, that, yeah, yeah. he was he was then dragged on Twitter. His his wife then helped the woman. Well, then it turns out people start looking at the photographer and she had racist tweets from like 2013, 2014, (laughs) like horrible checked out before this point. (laughs) Yeah. So she's there's racial slurs. She's talking about, uh, quote, Asian people talking a foreign language in the library, which you shouldn't do. So I don't know. Maybe she's in college. I'm not sure when when it was. So then, well, she is clearly terrible. And, And she deletes her Twitter account um and afterward i was like so we got mad at one guy because he didn't react appropriately in a situation where look i thought it was how he reacted is embarrassing but he didn't prevent her from getting medical attention and he didn't create right. cause her to fall right like it's basically that he looked like an uncaring person and he was and also that,
0: and i this is maybe like a tough time to he was blackout drunk like that guy was yeah, hammered <laughs> yeah, he
1: was, he was <laughs> destroyed it's totally yeah. true so it's basically because we're He didn't he didn't look concerned enough. Right. And then the the photographer suddenly it becomes, oh, nobody cares about Matthew Stafford anymore because the photographer did all of this horrible, said all of these horrible things, which they're they're bad. That's like eight years ago has nothing to do with her falling while she's working. I was like, but no, we've just decided that this person is no no longer worthy of compassion. I'm like, that's a really weird way to understand the world where we look at everything as like, who's most horrible here? Because we're all (laughs) terrible. We're all awful. Like we're all have different points where we're awful.
0: Yeah. That's that selective compassion thing is like very, is very frustrating. I think because, uh, yeah, I mean, as you can see it throughout our, our political discourse, it's, uh, and, and also by the way, like from just a comedy perspective, and I do want to talk about comedy because I know, uh, that you know, you like at least one comedian, which is enough to make me want to talk to you about comedy. Uh, But in comedy, like, it is funny sometimes to have the uncaring opinion, right? That Mm -hmm. can be funny to be This is the harshest way you could interpret this. That sometimes is funny. Uh, But, of course, you also see, like, in this case, he's got 85,000 cameras on him. Matthew Stafford does. Also, we have it juxtaposed. I brought this up on the last episode of the podcast, actually. Uh, Jalen Hurts had a kind of comparable situation happen. And was immediately rushed to help people. Of course, all these guys, he was sober, but all these guys have hours and hours of PR training. They are, you know, especially a quarterback in the NFL, which both those guys are. These guys might as well be, like, gubernatorial candidates. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, it's completely, and we're... We're also judging people on their momentary reactions, right? right yeah. Of course. It's it's very strange. Sorry, my dog got all fired That's up. That's
0: all right. That's my dog is sitting over here quietly for now. <laughs> <laughs> that could change at a moment's notice. Um, let's talk about comedy because you on your podcast uh, played a clip comparing the voices of John Caparulo and Sean McVeigh, which is very funny. Your podcast, by the way, is uh, from your sub stack called That Dang Apostrophe. That's correct. Right. All right. Yes. about uh, I've spelled your name wrong uh, the entire time I've known of you. Oh, you know what? Before we get into comedy, I think you and I might have had a brief... I wrote about sports for a while. I don't know if you Oh, knew, really? But... No, I didn't. I wrote about... I had a blog at one time. Actually, the earliest stages of Bleacher Report, I was like on a level above the lowest. Like, you could just enter any article submit any article writer i was a featured yeah. columnist for the seahawks and the mariners on there which paid zero dollars it was very exploitative back then but i wrote a thing i it was either you or jim moore but somebody quoted my thing on bleacher report being fooled into thinking it was a legitimate news source about uh oh god it was uh it wasn't me <laughs> I Don't wrote a about that thing. <laughs> no, it's fine. I wrote about, I actually got a bunch of traffic on it, but I wrote about, uh, how the combination of Greg Knapp and Jim Mora, like two conservative, uh, uh, strategies on both sides uh-huh. of the ball would not lead to, it would lead to a bunch of eight and eight seasons basically. And uh, we didn't get a bunch of eight and eight seasons, but it was gonna be. I think we were headed for like a mediocre, mediocre yeah,
1: uh, stretch of football if Mora and Knapp had stayed together for very long. Well, I am gonna have to look through. That doesn't that off that doesn't sound like something I'd object to. Like usually, right. I can tell when when it, if it was that doesn't sound like something that I would I would say that I was tricked. Um, I I ho- not I hope not tricked wasn't. into like it was right. A, like I think, was I think you might have legitimate... thought
0: Bleacher Report was something more legit than it was. Well, now it's like real. Now it's like real. But it used to be just like WordPress dot com, basically.
1: Yeah. You know what, though? Like this whole idea of real and fake and what constitutes sports journalism like that's such a fuzzy line. Sure, and that's fair. I, I. There's nothing less real about Bleacher Report than 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 what what I've ever done. Um in, in any of well, the it's very nice capacities of you. that are No, it's it's but it's true. Like I mean there's there's certainly like professional standards that apply to newspaper reporting and how you mm-hmm. write it and you're expected to get quotes. But that that sort of it too much of journalism comes down to people thinking that access validates mm-hmm. the work that they do. And that's a pretty elitist and and honestly really short sighted because access also brings um, some negatives and that sure. you end up you end up softening your opinions in some cases because of the people that you're working around or to maintain some of the access you have so yeah um, I I I hope <laughs> I hope because I, I will from time to time say things that I definitely end up regretting and I'm like ooh I was a jerk there so I hope it yeah. wasn't me.
0: By the way, I always was a fan of your writing and, uh, I was a fan of the, the, I, and I also remember when you, when you came to 710 ESPN, I remember that also. There was like the beginning of your career there and the unfortunate end of your career there. I listened at both those points pretty, pretty frequently. And, uh, I remember you reminded me of this guy who I think you probably were writing, uh, in Seattle at the time David Locke do you remember David Yeah Locke? yeah
1: yeah yeah. I, yeah
0: yes. and he's uh obviously gone on to be he's the play by play guy the for jazz the guy. Jazz yeah. he's and he's a, a podcast very,
1: network too
0: I know and he's uh he's great and he was like a guy that got me into sports analytics one of the guys there was like a couple like I'm a moneyball era uh saber mm-hmm. sabermetrics guy not the movie the book uh the movie stinks all that's all. Uh, defend my opinion on that as much as my opinion on or is my uh opinion on tech nine but you reminded me of that so uh it's very I, nice of you to say Kevin. i didn't <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think he was very unpopular so i'm glad you think it's nice because we have a shared like appreciation yeah, yeah he
1: worked hard no i like david a ton
0: yeah i was i thought it was unfortunate the way that his uh time with the sonics ended but uh, um anyway uh you you quoted or you you played some audio of john caparulo sounding like sean mcveigh is john caparulo the only comedian that you like do you like other no comedians?
1: no i do like other comedians um i don't know i don't know how much of a of a wonk i am but yeah i really i like comedy a ton um and have I probably haven't seen as much live comedy sure. as as I'd like to. But um, even when we moved to New York and right before COVID, we went and saw Ronnie Chang um, and mm. uh, and Jared Freed. Is that okay? Fried he does a yeah, he Freed. does a podcast. Jared Fried, uh, yeah. who were both very very funny when we went and saw. Him. But like yeah, I, I like Caparula. I just watched the uh, is it on Prime about Fat Tuesdays. Oh, is Guy. that I
0: haven't I haven't seen his most recent.
1: Yeah, it's it's like a three it's like a three-part history of what Fat Tuesdays was at the Comedy Store with Guy oh, Tory cool. and and a lot of black comedians are on there. Mm-hmm. It was it was really good. So yeah, no, I like comedy a ton.
0: That's cool. Yeah, so New York uh you're in the hotbed of course. The there's I uh you'll the I assume you saw Ronnie Chang and Jared Freed at a theater of some type.
1: It was yeah, it was shorter sets. I'm trying. Gotcha. It was in the. It was on the lower east side, so it wasn't one of. It wasn't like one of Ronnie's tours. It was like him going there and, and working. Oh, like okay. Five or six. One of those comedy seller those, maybe. Yeah, might have been. I'm not. There's I'm not going to remember ground. which one it was. Yeah. All right,
0: all right. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I'm very jealous of the New York comedy scene because they get people, way more people who are like they go once a year. Or they're they go when they're like I've been to the comedy cellar four times I think but it's spread out over six years or something like that so they get to do these like just tons of sets to new audiences which is really nice Um, so John Caparulo who you who like when did you start watching comedy how did you discover John Caparulo is Um, another question
1: he was Caparulo was on wasn't there like a Wild West. Documentary, yes. right? Vince Vaughn. Uh, yes, Vince Vaughn's Wild The dude with West, the eyebrows, something. like Bert. Is it Bert Ernst? Something Ernst. Brad He's Ernst, got like yeah. Brad Ernst has really bushy eyebrows. He talked about his mom screwing him a Muppet, Um Was how he ended up getting. <laughs> He's uh, the and, first
0: comic I ever when I the first MC weekend I ever did. Oh really? Brad Ernst. Yeah, we got. By the way, speaking of drinking too much, we drank to severe excess and went to the Emerald Queen Casino. And uh, he was teaching me how to play. He was trying to teach me how to play craps. And I was too drunk. Yeah. (laughs) And eventually he just handed me $20 like I was his wife. And he's like, go play slots. I'm going to finish this. And then I was like, okay, I'm fine. And then, uh, yeah. Anyway. That's
1: very funny. Um, So I saw it there and then I got his album um, Mm. after that. I think I bought it on iTunes. God, do you remember that? We used to buy albums on iTunes. Nobody <laughs> it does insane. that anymore. Yeah, it does. Uh, so he's yeah. That was when I started like I and I thought his I thought his comedy was hilarious. Like mm-hmm. I his his voice, and then he's kind of got the thing where he kind of would hold his hand up, um, as and it seemed really uncomfortable talking. And the voice he had, it was it was great. So yeah, and wh- every time I hear McVeigh, I think he sounds like Caparulo.
0: Yeah, it's, I, I thought it was a very good comparison. Is uh, McVeigh from Ohio? Because I think Caprulo
1: is from like, yeah, he's Columbus from Cleveland. Yeah, oh Cleveland. I think he's from Cleveland. He might be from Columbus though. He's definitely they're all from the Ohio. same to me. The three, yeah. uh,
0: the three C Ohio cities.
1: Yeah, they're not they're not that different. They certainly have a lot in common. Although I would say Cincinnati is the nicest of them. Mm, Um, but all three kind of underrated too. Like there's, they're they're totally fine (laughs) cities. Like one of the biggest myths people have is that all these rust belt cities are awful. Like Milwaukee, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, like all those places like are super fun cities to be in. Like they're beautiful downtowns. Um.
0: So I would say Cincinnati doesn't have a beautiful downtown. I would argue, I would push back against
1: that. And they have very bad chili, but yeah, the, the chili's nasty. Chil- the skyline chili's nasty, but over the Rhine is like a redeveloped little district over the Rhine's nice. Yeah. They have a,
0: the, I went there. That was the first time I went into a whole foods and uh, there was a bar inside of the whole food, whole foods. I'd never seen that. And uh, I got like, I didn't know that Ohio had craft beer, let alone good craft beer. And I got, like, this this uh, lady just showed me, like, she was, you're from Seattle. Let me bring you every, I'll give you a samples of every single thing, which was kind of cool. That's great. Yeah.
1: Help I me th- wash they'd... down the chili. Chili yeah. five ways. <laughs> it was also,
0: I had a White Castle there for the first time also, which is not, I can't blame them for that.
1: Dude, White Castle. My wife and I, we'd never had it. Like, we'd only seen Harold and Kumar go to White Castle. Same. So we got out here, we drove. <laughs> it's nasty like that steamed bun is it's disgusting it's yeah it it was it was terrible i know that movie i feel
0: like was had to have been funded by them there's no way anyone actually has that much affection for white castle
1: some people out here do though it's weird. yeah yeah there's some people out here that make it and i was like yeah that's it's a bad burger like it's not even a good bad burger it's just a bad burger
0: I feel like Sliders got a big – had a huge jump from that also. I remember I, – that's a movie I saw four times in theaters when I was in high school, stoned out of my mind every time. And we would go to – we would try to recreate the experience afterwards, go get a slide – go get Sliders somewhere or Burgers somewhere every single time. And uh, yeah, never – I
1: never, n- sli- never – give me a real nice Burgers. You know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sliders is cuz what do you get? 3 or 4? I get that. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. Sliders never really kind of they, they never measure. They're never as good as an actual burger. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I will say I like I will I split places into uh one burger or two burger places. So uh Dick's to me is a two burger place. You get two. Mm-hmm. Bur- I don't really like I'm not a big fries guy. So I'll get two burgers there cuz the burgers are of a size where you get two burgers. And then there's uh, an example, I guess. Uh, what is it? I'm trying to think of what a Seattle version, like Red Robin, is a, a national example, obviously. But that's a one burger place. Yeah. But Little anything Woody's. beyond two
1: burgers, I'm out. Yeah. L- Little Woody's. Have you been there before?
0: Yes, that's a one burger place, right? Yeah, It's delicious.
1: Yeah. Zippies over in West Seattle. I love okay. Zippies. I haven't had uh-huh. Zippies.
0: I've had Zips in Spokane, which I uh-huh. contend is yeah. the best. Fast food burger I've ever had in my life. Yeah, and it's a that's good one, a, yeah. and that's a two burger place, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree. Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Zip Zippies in West Seattle is a one burger place. Okay,
0: all right, I'm going to try that out. We go to uh, Rico's in yeah,
1: the pizza West place. Seattle. Yeah.
0: yeah, that was so a you. Little, you
1: go ahead. Uh, I lived in West Seattle for I think about 15 years. I lived in three different oh, places wow. in West Seattle, and Rico's was a little. Toward the end, we moved from West Seattle right as the viaduct project was starting. So that was like 2011. My wife oh, was yeah. like, We're not commuting. We're not doing that. So we, we moved to Capitol Hill then. But yeah, I loved West Seattle.
0: The um, God, Tala Rico's was so just enormous. Like I remember watching a lady order a full pizza at and Rico's and trying, she couldn't fit it into the back seat of her car because it's such <laughs> enormous slices. <laughs> but so you've moved sense. to New York. Yes. in pre-pandemic, right? Like 2000. Yeah, that's correct. I had 6
1: 6 months before the pandemic hit.
0: Uh so, did you love it and how did that change over the pandemic and how do you feel now?
1: I I do enjoy it. Um I think like everybody, the pandemic changed things significantly. Like I'm 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 a pretty extreme extrovert, so mm-hmm. I've had to learn and develop ways to make sure that I get outside and talk to people. Um working remotely during the pandemic where you're spending kind of half the day focused on Seattle and then the other half living in New York is a, is a little bit disorienting um i haven't been doing that for for 6 months now or almost 6 months um i really i really like the city like i really mm-hmm. i really enjoy i mean i'm i'm incredibly spoiled like each day i go walk in central park with my dog like and it's there i love kind of the feeling of that there's like, I just tell my wife, I love the subway. Like I like going in the subway and it's old and it's dirty and it feels like it's been there for a while. And, and the things that you see, like the buildings around, like there's, there is some, some history to it. Like my wife's going to see a a piano concert tonight at Carnegie hall, which is like a walk from where we live. So Mm -hmm. all of those things are exceptionally cool. Um, Not having, and you could, you can tell even in the past month, that people are coming back to work like the the city is is sort of taking off again in a way that it that it hasn't like last summer after the vaccine was initially developed you saw it start to do some of that but you can really feel it you can really feel it now and it's starting to get busy i i can't decide whether i should get double credit for living here and staying here through the pandemic when a lot of people did leave because it didn't (laughs) matter where where you lived or if I get no credit for living in New York because it hasn't been like New York at all. Like it hasn't been crowded because I mean there's a ton of things that are awesome about New York but one of the things is like you can't really anticipate when something's all of a sudden going to become a giant pain in the butt and out of nowhere it's like, okay, this task that should take you 20 minutes is now going to take you three and a half hours and there's nothing you can do about it. You have to just sit there and take it and that that part's starting to come back a little bit where it is... Mm -hmm. It's not always the most convenient place to live, but people are super friendly about that. And kind of we all understand it kind of sucks sometimes.
0: Yeah, I think that the my so when we went to New York, we went for our honeymoon and our goal was never take a cab. Uh-huh. Only take the subway. And so to me, the subway is like the the people that complain about the subway, go try to use public transportation in any other city outside of like Chicago and San Francisco maybe and the subway destroys everything in Seattle. I'd pick the subway over anything that's in Seattle. Anything I live in Tacoma, anything that's in Tacoma, I'd take it over what's in uh San Francisco to be honest with you. It's great. It's uh it's gross and it's uh whatever it's, but all this it's all gross. It's public transportation. It's a public thing, you know. Uh public parks can be gross sometimes.
1: I generally agree with you. It is dirty. Like, and that's right. like, well, I remember the first time that I went to Tokyo and it was, I was there to cover the Sonics and going on a Tokyo train. I was like, oh my God, it's so clean. And so <laughs> there's, there's a little bit that makes me feel that like in America, we just accept really dirty public transportation, except for Seattle's light rail, which is super clean. But that's just mm-hmm. cause it's still relatively new and we haven't had a chance to like really foul it up yet. Yeah,
0: but, and I mean, I've had, I've had an experience on the light rail that was pretty gross, to be honest oh, with you. Oh, really? Yeah, like a guy that was, uh, I mean, unfortunate dude, but uh, I mean, the whole car smelled like him by the time I got Oh, out.
1: yeah, yeah, it's, it's that. Um, it was, God, it would have been after we got vaccinated. I think it was the first meal that my wife and I went out and like ate out after we'd gotten vaccinated. It was a Korean restaurant in Midtown. Mm-hmm. And afterward, we went. And, as we 're walking down the platform to get to the subway stop, like somebody's peeing in the corner, and mm-hmm. then we get down to on the actual platform, somebody's just screaming, and we're like new york's back that's right, general filth and insanity let's go yeah that's
0: uh that's funny i'm uh I'm jealous because I mean the food there is incredible. You sound yeah, like food good. people, and the pizza's my favorite pizza. The I mean, just the halal cart that – I've said this, maybe not on this podcast, but the second time we went to New York, I've only been twice, uh, we – there's this halal cart on uh, Delancey in the Lower East Side on uh, Delancey and whatever the, the – I can't remember if that run w- runs east-west, but I know Delancey. Delancey runs north-south or east-west? I don't know. Okay. All right. All right. I'll give you some – uh, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm not,
1: I can, I, I can get the streets and avenues and some of them, but you get down in that, in the, in the lower part of Manhattan and I get gotcha. turned around pretty, pretty quickly.
0: So there's a holiday in the Lower East Side Holiday Inn. Uh-huh. We stayed there both times and there's a halal cart there that the second time we went, I, we stayed like, let's say Monday through Saturday. I got food poisoning from this halal cart on Tuesday and i still ate it thursday and friday it was so good <laughs> it's the best food like it would be my favorite thing in tacoma if it was available to me you know what i mean that is dedication like even <laughs> even knowing it got
1: you sick you're like yeah sometimes sometimes you just got to play hurt go back for it that's that's yeah. really, that is that is a good food cart